in Saskatoon. I don't even the smell of something dead outside. Not my fault. Okay. Okay. Got that clear up. Okay. Uh, I love Al-Anon. Al-Anon is my life. Without Al-Anon, I would have no life. And I guess even if I had a life, it would be it wouldn't be a life. Does that make sense? I am not an adult child of alcoholics. I was raised in a home where there was really no alcohol of any kind. Um, well, I guess you know my dad had the odd glass of whiskey with you know at Christmas time or something like that. But uh, there was certainly no um, nobody ever got drunk in my home, and I had an awesome childhood. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. I wasn't for many years. I took it for granted. And um, having now been in Al-Anon for some 14 years, I believe, and uh, having shared the lives of so many people who grew up in alcoholic homes, I have come to have a great appreciation for my childhood and my parents. Um, my mom and dad were married for 62 years. My dad actually passed away just, just about a month ago. And uh, they had an awesome marriage, and they were an awesome example to me of a functional relationship. So, you know, with that kind of a background, you'd wonder, what the heck am I doing in Al-Anon? How did I end up in Al-Anon? Well, hmm. Oh, I guess uh, what I have to say about myself, first off, is that I'm a rebel. <laughs> and I was a rebel right from, I think, probably the moment I... I breathed air. Uh, I was the youngest of three, and I had two older sisters, and um, I was as unlike them as anyone could possibly be. They were girly girls, and they were good girls, and they were studious, and they liked to do girly things like play with dolls and do needlework and play the piano and things like that. And I liked to climb trees and. Um, ride bikes and make tree houses and things like that. Build stuff with my dad. I love to build things with my dad. Um, and um, I was not a typical little girl. And I rebelled in every possible way, in everything I could do. And uh, as a teenager, I continued that rebellion and. Uh, as much as I love my parents, I think I think the one thing we know as teenagers is that we don't want to be our parents. We don't know who we are, but we know we don't want to be our parents. And I think that's typical of all teenagers, no matter what your home background is. You just know you don't want to be your parents. My parents were, you know, a little boring, really, frankly. You know, compared to a lot of other parents out there who partied and, you know, did fun things and and so I, you know, looked around for a bad boy. <laughs> and I found me one. Oh, yes, did I ever. And he was so exciting. Oh, my goodness. And his family were exciting. They did exciting things. You know, they drank and they partied and they fought and they carried on and Wow, it was just, it was just breathtaking. <laughs> I had an opportunity in high school to uh, 
you know, get involved with with the, the nerd. You know, the one that would have treated you like a lady, would have taken care of you, would have, you know, done anything he could have done, bent over backwards to fulfill your wishes and, you know, treat you like a princess. I had that opportunity, but I have to buy. No, 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 I needed a bad boy. Well, I married my bad boy when I was about 19 years old. And, you know, um, I've asked myself over the years many times, why did I do that? Well, I think there's really only one answer to that. I loved him. Simple as that. I loved him. Uh, I didn't love his behavior, but I loved him. But it took me many, many years to separate that out, what was the behavior and what was him. I certainly didn't do it prior to getting into Al-Anon. We had two kids. Um boys, uh, who are of course now grown men, and uh, one of them is married and has uh, given me a wonderful little grandson who I think is the most delightful little child in the world. I believe grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children. (laughs) (laughs) They're the best thing in the world. I love my grandson. It took me three tries before I really got it and stayed with Al-Anon. The first time I went to Al-Anon, my husband had actually taken a stab at quitting drinking when I think our our oldest son was about two. Um, he had lost his driver's license and was getting it back and thought maybe he might have a drinking problem, maybe he should be. And so I thought I should join the auxiliary <laughs> And at his suggestion, went to an Al-Anon meeting. And there were, I think there were probably about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 people there. It was in a fairly small town where we lived. And, um, you know, they were laughing at the most inappropriate things, I felt. (laughs) You know, stuff that wasn't funny, stuff that was really quite tragic, and they were laughing. And there were people there crying openly in front of other people, if you can imagine. I thought, wow, how weak are you? Man, don't you know you're supposed to stuff your feelings and not share them in front of other people? Man, you people. So uh, I went to one meeting, and three or four days later, my husband went and got drunk, and my very first thought was, oh, he said, I don't have to go back to I was so relieved. I'm so relieved. Uh, fast forward about five years, I think it was, and I went to my second Al-Anon meeting. This time, not because he had quit drinking, but because I had uh, uh, a friend, actually, who had been in Al-Anon, and I kind of liked some of the things, changes that were going on with her. And I kind of saw some, you know, some problems in myself and in my own personality that I thought might, you know, might need addressing. <laughs> Maybe. And uh, so I went to another Al-Anon meeting, and I don't remember anything really particular that anyone said in that meeting, but I uh, do remember identifying with everything that was said in the meeting uh, and feeling that I belonged there and hating that I belonged there, that I was so weak and so stupid that I couldn't figure it out for myself and I had to come to some place like this. 
and I could feel myself through the meeting, I could feel that I was going to cry, and I didn't want to make a scene, I didn't want to get up and leave in the middle of the meeting. So I, you know, I was trying my very best to sit through this meeting, and as the meeting was over, there was ladies coming and they were talking to me, and they were giving me pamphlets, and they were giving me books, and I just wanted to get out of there so bad, because I didn't want to cry in front of anybody. And I finally made it out of there. I took this book and this bookmark and a few things that they gave me, and I got, I made it to my car, and I sat there and I just bawled. Probably for an hour, I couldn't even move my car. I just sat there and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I knew that that was where I needed to be, but I wasn't ready to be there yet. Um, something came up on that same night that, I don't know, curling or something. And so that was my excuse. I didn't have to go back. Okay, I went on. So I just, uh, but one thing I took from that meeting, I, I had the little book, the One Day at a Time book, and I had a bookmark with the Serenity Prayer on it and a couple of other little pieces of literature. And I thought, well, you know, I really don't need to go back to the meeting because I have these books and I have this stuff, so I can, you know, figure this out on my own. Why not? <laughs> I should be able to do that. And I guess the thing that probably I used more than anything was the Serenity Prayer. It was kind of my mantra. I would just repeat it over and over and over. And I really think the only part that ever sunk in was the first phrase, um, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change because to me that was everything. I couldn't change anything. My life was just going to continue in this horrible way, you know, with my husband drinking every night and, you know, me being miserable and our kids misbehaving and all this stuff was just going to continue forever and there was nothing that I could do about it. Um, I was, you know, I just pretty much gave up. But, you know, I thought with this prayer I can actually be okay with that. I can be serene. And I guess at that time I thought serene meant not feeling anything. I, mean, I really I really did believe that, that. You know, if you just didn't feel anything, you'd be okay. And I really wanted to not feel anything. I wanted to not feel the anger. And I wanted to not feel the hurt and the rejection and um, the sadness. I didn't want to feel that. I felt it too much. And I wanted to stop feeling. And I did that. You know, I just systematically shut down. The unfortunate part about that is that when you shut down anger and hurt and sadness and all these negative feelings, you also shut down joy and you shut down love and you shut down excitement and passion. And I just, you know, on an emotional EEG, I would have been flatlined. There would have been nothing there for about 10 years, just a flat line. There are so many things about those 10 years that I don't remember. If it weren't for pictures um, and memoirs of events that happened in those 10 years, I would really virtually have nothing. I was so flatlined. I was so serene. I was virtually brain dead. There was nothing left of me. There was no personality. There was nothing. I functioned. I was a mother. I went to work every day, I functioned in my job, and actually that was the one area where I actually felt some sense of uh, accomplishment or uh, worth was in my job. I didn't feel worthy as a wife, I didn't feel worthy as a mother. 
I didn't feel worthy as a daughter or a sister because I had so isolated myself from my family. I know I, you know, I would be with them, but I wasn't with them. I, I didn't let them in on anything that was going in on, on in my life. I kind of pretended with them that, you know, everything was just fine. And on the outside, we looked pretty good. You know, our house was clean, and the kids were well dressed, and we drove nice cars, and. You know, we had nice clothes and things like that. We looked pretty good, really. You know, I thought anyway, to the outside world. That was pretty important to me that we looked good. But of course we weren't good. We weren't good at all. Um, fortunately for me, a sister-in-law of, of mine and uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law moved uh, to the town where we were living. And she was an Al-Anon member. And uh, she would talk about, you know, and her, her husband was an active alcoholic, active drinker as well. And, uh, you know, she would talk about what a difference Al-Anon made in her life. And, um, you know, I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I, I guess there were three, three events that kind of happened all at one time that sort of uh, pushed me over the edge. Uh, to, uh, toward Al-Anon, and uh, one of them was that my 39th birthday was coming up. Or no, no, yeah, my 39th birthday was coming up, and that was like so close to being 40. Like, oh my God, 39. And our 20th anniversary was coming up, and um, my husband had asked me how, you know, what did I want to do to celebrate our 20th anniversary, and I, I just thought, oh my God, why would you want to celebrate this? What's to celebrate? You know, like it just, it was so depressing and it was so sad. And I can remember actually going to purchase a Valentine card for my husband. And uh, because I did that every year. Because, you know, that's, you know, you do that. You make, you make things look right. You know, and I went and I was buying this Valentine card. And I wanted to buy a Valentine card that I actually meant. You know, it wasn't a lie. You know, but that, you know, was not nasty. <laughs> you don't make them. <laughs> I couldn't find one. I could not find one card that was just like, yeah, right, yeah, well, another year, happy go. You know, like, they were all, <laughs> they're all this mushy love stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this just isn't, this just isn't right. And I actually started crying in the card store because I couldn't find a card that would describe our relationship. <laughs> it's just so sad. So sad. I don't remember if I actually bought one or not, but anyway, it's probably like one of those little generic be my <laughs> I don't know. So there was that, and then there was uh, um, a person that I, a good friend of mine, uh, kind of the, probably the only person that I hadn't completely shut out of my life at that point. Um, who told me that he was in love with me. And it was the most devastating thing that I had ever heard in my life. I was absolutely devastated by that knowledge. It just, it threw me right over the edge. It, it forced me to feel feelings that I had not felt for 10 years. And it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it was not pretty. All these feelings were just coming out of me. Um, and mostly, uppermost, I guess, was rage. Just rage, not at anybody, 
by myself for putting up with this, for not making a change, for sitting in this relationship and not doing something to, to make my life better and to make my kids' lives better. So with all of those things, I, I went to Al-Anon. And this time when I went in the room, um, I, uh, it, you know, it was like coming in from the cold and just being wrapped in this lovely warm blanket. That's what it felt like, that first meeting that I went to. Um, I felt, I knew I belonged, and this time I was glad I belonged. Um, I was I was accepted that I belonged, that I needed help. That was probably the first time in my life that I actually accepted that I needed help. And it was good. It was really good. Um, you know, I got a sponsor right away. I got involved in service work right away. I started working the steps right away. It was it was awesome. Uh, and I would love to say, you know, that my my home life just got 100% better. And you know, my husband went to AA and and all this stuff. But that's not what happened at all. Uh, my life got worse, way worse for a while. Um, my kids really rebelled against the fact that I was no longer doing the dysfunctional things like, you know, buying them everything in sight and um, and my husband of course when he got wind of the fact that I was going to Al Anon was extremely upset about that. Um, and there was, you know, some some scenes there. Um, throughout our marriage one of the one of the themes I guess, um, you know, I would, you know, get fed up and I would say, you know, like I'm leaving and he would say, well, then I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, that always had the immediate result of pulling me right back in line because nothing could possibly be worse. I had actually had a girlfriend as a child whose, uh, whose mother had uh, committed suicide. And I knew how devastating that was for her. And I just really felt that there could be nothing, there could be nothing in the world that could be worse than... Uh, and suicide. So, you know, throughout the years, that uh, that threat, and it was, that was all it took, was just a threat. And there were uh, there were a couple of attempts uh, through the years, but I, I really I really think they were quite half-hearted. They weren't they weren't serious attempts. They were more attention things than anything. <clears throat> anyway, after I got into Alan, I think I'd been in Alan for about three years, and uh, my husband had uh, taken a couple of stabs at AA. And uh, was, you know, was trying, um, I, I believe sincerely, was trying and, and not succeeding um, really, very well. And, um, and, and the end result was that he actually did uh, end up killing himself. And that was, that was, uh, was pretty devastating. Um, however, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, it was different than I thought it would be. It was it was horrifying. It was, uh, you know, I'm I'm really I guess grateful I guess that my that my kids didn't find him. That was kind of always my worst nightmare was that the kids would come home from school or something and, and find him and, and I'm the one that found him. So I was glad for that 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 it hadn't been them. Anyway, um, Alanon got me through that. Alanon again wrapped that warm blanket around me. And surrounded me with um, with good people, with caring people, with love. And by then, I had enough program to 
kind of know that it wasn't my fault. Uh, I know that if that had happened before I got into Al-Anon, I would have completely blamed myself. It would have been my fault. Um, but I knew by then that I didn't cause it, and I, and I couldn't cure it. <laughs> and I had, um, shortly before that time, I had been working the, the steps of Al-Anon, and shortly before that time, I had actually taken the third step and really, you know, meant that I had made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, and I had made a decision to turn him over to the care of God, even knowing what that could mean. He was very, very, a very troubled person, and, um, um, you know, I knew that, as, as awful as that was, I knew that he was at peace, and I was glad for that because he, uh, you know, as much as he had made, you know, uh, things difficult in our lives, um, I loved him. And uh, it's not easy to watch somebody suffer that much, that they would do that to themselves. So anyway, I continued in Al-Anon and uh, worked the steps. Um, My kids actually got some counseling. Um, They were um, 15 and... 18, no, 15 and 20, I guess, at the time. So one was actually already away from home. Um, but uh, they both actually uh, went with me to, you know, to some counselors, and uh, and that was a good thing. Um, they, I think, it helped them. It certainly helped me. Um, oh gosh. Steps. Uh, the third step says that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That was the really challenging part, that last phrase. That was the most challenging part for me. As we understood him. That, mean, that meant I had to actually understand God. Wow, that was a big one. Um, that was how I looked at it anyway at that time. Um, and I did not understand God. I was very angry at God. I had, you know, been praying to God for very many years to, uh, you know, to heal our family and to, you know, to help my husband and to make him quit drinking and make him do this and make him do that. (laughs) You know, he hadn't done that. And I I know I had never stopped believing in God because I was angry at God. And you can't be angry at somebody that you don't believe exists. So I know I never actually stopped believing in God. But... um, I didn't understand God, that was for sure. Excuse me. With the help of my sponsor, I started, you know, continued on the steps and you know, like she told she indicated to me that, you know, I really didn't have to define God yet. I just had to believe that there was something there. Uh, as step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. And I didn't yet have to define that power. So we moved on with the, you know, the, the inventory and the, and the um, step five um, and the amends. That was, a, that was really hard. For me, the, the hardest amends I had to make were to the people I felt had wronged me the most. And that would have been, that was my mother-in-law and father-in-law because of course they were both alcoholics and if it hadn't been for them you know my husband wouldn't have turned out so like he did 
And so I was, al- I was always really angry at them, and I was very angry at their behavior. And I guess if I think about the relationship of an adult child to, you know, like the relationship with an alcoholic parent, that would be as close as, as I can come to an understanding of, you know, having an alcoholic parent. Because I really, like I was very young when I got married, I was only 19, and the relationship that I had with my mother-in-law was extremely dysfunctional. And there was not a lot of love lost between the two of us. Um, and it really, when I look back on it now, it was that we both we both uh, felt inadequate in each other's presence. <laughs> I think is is probably the best way that I could put it. She she always thought that she wasn't good enough because you know I came from a family where there's no drinking and so on and so forth, and I always felt that I wasn't good enough for her. Nothing I did was good enough for her. So it was a very dysfunctional uh, relationship. And I am happy to say that I was able, uh, finally, to make my amends to her uh, be, uh, just shortly before she died. Um, so I was really happy about that. I, I always felt that I'd never really been able to make my amends to John, to my husband, uh, before he died. Or at least I hadn't done a formal amends. I had certainly changed my behavior toward him and my attitude. And I wasn't, um, I didn't, I no longer treated him like a naughty child, as I had done for so much of our marriage. Uh, so I, I guess I did make amends, but not the formal kind of amends, where you sit down with a person and you say, hey, you know, I've done you wrong, and, um, and I'd like you to forgive me. So the fact that I was able to do it with his mother was helpful to me. I never did make amends to my father-in-law. Um... I, I just never could forgive him for some of the things that he had done to me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have now forgiven it. I have now, I do now have an understanding of where he came from and how how his behavior was simply a reflection of what he was taught. I, I understand that now. I didn't then, and I never did make amends to him. Step 10 talks about continuing to take personal inventory. And um, I think that that's a really important thing for me, uh, and I and I slip in it sometimes. And um, it um, it relates, I guess, to how I'm feeling about myself. If I'm feeling good about myself, I don't mind taking inventory. <laughs> you know, because it's good stuff, right? But when I'm feeling like I haven't really done very well, um, I have a hard time doing that uh, that daily inventory. About um, uh, three months after my husband died, I uh, was at an AA function, Halloween party, actually. Um, dressed as Cleopatra, if you can imagine. Isn't that a, isn't that a, a mental image? Like, <laughs> and um, a friend of mine had actually encouraged me to go out to this function because she thought it would be good for me to get out. And and do something, and uh, so I had gone, and and there were a lot of um, hmm, how can I put this? AA vultures there, <laughs> and uh, I spent most of the night running, you know, away, like moving, moving from table to table only because these guys would sit down and they'd want to, you know. Well, you know, uh, to, to be fair, I think a lot of them just wanted to share stuff. So. 
about my husband because they had, you know, he had been in recovery a little bit, but it felt to me like they were, you know, um, circling. <laughs> so, so as I say, I kept moving. And I finally moved and sat with my sponsor and her husband. I thought, okay, I'll be safe here. Little did I know that uh, they had a friend staying with them from out of town. And uh, we got into a conversation and I went for coffee after the dance was over. And this guy thought that maybe a relationship would be a, a good thing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not in a place where I can be in a relationship. Like, you know, God wouldn't put the right person in my life at the wrong time. So you can't be the right person. So go away. And, uh, and he did, briefly. But he kept coming back. And he kept coming back and he kept following me and he was very, very persistent and kept hanging around. He'd come back and he'd phone. Oh my God. He had been in AA for, I think at that time, about 18 years. Well, I'm really glad he was persistent <laughs> because he, uh, he turned out was my soulmate. And uh, we, uh, we spent, uh, well, we moved in together, uh, I think after about a year, after me trying to get rid of him and him coming back. Me trying to get rid of him and him coming back after about a year. We finally moved in together and, um, you know, um, it, it was great. It really was. We had, a, we had a really good functional relationship, which, wow, that was, you know, I had seen it in my parents, but I, I couldn't quite believe that I was actually capable of that. Um, and, I, of course, that was only because of al um, I, I really believe that the right relationship is not really so much a matter of finding the right person as it is of being the right person. And uh, because we were both working our steps, and actually at that point we were both really seriously working on our 11th step, um, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And that's where we both were, and that's where we met, and that's what we did together we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And that was kind of the foundation of our relationship, and it was a really, really good... I mean, there were some broad patches, of course, there are with any relationship, especially because I still had uh, one teenager at home. That was kind of the source of a few little misunderstandings. I still wanted to enable him to uh, well, do all kinds of things, and this guy just insisted that I not do that. I don't know why, but anyway, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for him showing me how to detach from my sons and allow them to make their own mistakes. And he, he actually once asked me, why are you stealing from your kids? And I said, what are you talking about? Well, he said, you're robbing them of so many opportunities to learn. He said, you're stealing from those kids. You're taking away the very thing they need to grow. He had actually got into AA himself when he was 23. And he, in them, recognized himself. And the thing that helped him most was his parents pretty much disowning him at that point. So he knew what worked and what didn't work. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, as a result of that, I now today have a really good relationship with both my sons. 
Um, my younger son um, still struggles um, and is still, um, as my mother would put it, looking for himself. Um, I think he's looking in all the wrong places, but that's okay. As my Marty would have said, he's working on his story. <laughs> and someday, hopefully, with the grace of God, he'll be in a room like this. And whether that's through the AA program or through the Eleanor Adult Children program, either of which I'm sure could probably be beneficial, um, that's his story, and that's, that's up to him. I just love him. When I'm with him, I show him how much I love him and how perfect I think he is and how much I think he's capable of, and that's all I can do. And I can be an example of how a person can change their life Three years ago, um, my partner died of cancer, and that was really hard. It's especially hard to lose your soulmate. It's hard at any time to lose your partner, but when he's your soulmate, it's really hard. And it took me about a year of... Um, just going around feeling like part of me had been ripped away and really wishing that maybe I could join them. And it was Alan that caught me through that. It was the 11th step that I continuing to seek through prayer and meditation conscious contact with God that sees me through today. You know, someday I, I believe I will be face to face with my higher power and I'm going to have a lot of questions. I have a list. <laughs> a long list of questions that I'm going to have. But because I want to live a happy life and because I don't want my life to be cluttered with bitterness and resentment and anger, I am giving God the benefit of the doubt for now. I believe there is a reason, even though I don't know it today. And so I have let him go. I know he's in a better place. And, um, I believe someday I will be there too. And I look forward to that reunion. I had to say goodbye to my dad a month ago. And that was really hard. Um, it seems like I lose all the men in my life. I guess that happens. Um, one of the requests that my dad made was that I say the eulogy at his funeral. And I, man, when I heard that, I was, that was, that was very heart-wrenching for me. I didn't know if I could do that, um, but I wanted to do it because he was my dad and because I loved him so much and because he was such a good guy. And so I did. 
And um, and it was okay. It was brief. It was heartfelt. It was emotional. And it was okay. Um, it's hard to say goodbye. Uh, it's hard now to watch my mom, you know, after 62 years of marriage on her own. She's very lost and she's very confused. Al-Anon is my life. Al-Anon will be my life as long as I live. I can't get along without Al-Anon. I can't get along without my homies over here. <laughs> my traveling mates. Um, I love them more than I can possibly describe. You know, some people describe uh, recovery as peeling an onion. And that's a good analogy. I think that's very true. There are layers to us that we need to to um, peel away. But I actually prefer the analogy of a diamond in the rough. I think inside each and every one of us is a perfect, clear, beautiful diamond. We were created perfectly and beautifully. And that perfection cannot be altered. It can only be covered up by crud. That's what's on the diamond. It's black crud. Have you ever seen a diamond in the rough? It's really quite ugly. It's just crusty and black and horrible, just like I felt before I came to Al-Anon. And the way that they polish diamonds is that they put them in a big barrel and they tumble them and they rub against one another and they actually polish each other. And I believe that's what we're doing here in this room and in uh, the other rooms of our, of our meetings and in life. Um, I think sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. <laughs> Very often that happens. But that doesn't alter the process. We're still polishing each other even when we're rubbing each other the wrong way. Um, I've learned a few things in my time here uh, in Al-Anon. I've learned about love. And I think I finally learned about serenity. Um, where I once believed that serenity meant not feeling. Today I believe serenity means full feeling. Feeling everything. Feeling the hurt. Feeling the joy. Feeling the anger. Feeling the passion. Feeling the love. <coughs> All of it. And going with it. Whatever it is. Wherever we are. In our day. In our, in our week. In our life. In our... Wherever we are, there's a reason for it. There is going to be an answer someday. I really believe that. Someday we're going to know why. Or maybe someday we just won't care. That might be it too. I have a great deal of faith um, that it will all work out. That there is a plan. That there is a master. And... Um, Although we can only maybe get one little piece of the puzzle and we don't even know what the picture is a lot of the time. I have faith that there is a picture and that it's a beautiful picture. And every single one of you is a piece in that puzzle. And I thank you for being part of my puzzle.